Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is October the 16th, 2012, and this is I Developer Live, episode number 69. And with me today, the wonderful one and only Mr. John Fox and the even more fabulous Mr. Drew McCormack. How are you, gentlemen? I was fine until you said that you love Drew more than me. Now I'm kind of, you know, why don't you go ahead and make him your co-host? Yeah, but John, you know what it's like? When, when there's someone there just for one time, Hi guys, you have, you have to fine. make them feel very special, don't you? <laughs> Drew, shut up, we're talking. Um, <laughs> so, there we are. But John, you know that my love will always be undying for you. <laughs> yeah. uh, there we are. Okay, right. Um, Drew. Before we start waffling on, which I always do, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself so everybody knows who, who's, who it is is talking to us today. Okay. Um, I am a indie developer. I've got a company called The Mental Faculty, and the main product that I sell is called Mental Case. So it's an app for students. Basically, it's a flashcard app on steroids. So that's, yeah, that's, that's what I am That's what today. you are. Excellent. And uh, I didn't say what, you what are were that you today. Before you, you were a physicist, were you not? Yeah, I was a chemical physicist. Yeah. So uh, for 15 years, I was actually uh, doing scientific research. And about three years ago, I, I, uh, I quit my day job and started to sell apps in the app store. You thought you could do is with there... actually using your brain properly for a change instead. Yeah, of exactly. Do something <laughs> useful. Is, is there any truth to the rumor that part of your research was how to make uh, crystal meth cookers, you know, smaller and more, more compact? <laughs> I wish it was. I would have been a lot better off probably. <laughs> okay. okay. I've never asked you this question, Drew. I'm a I've big always... fan of Breaking Bad. Yeah, so. I've always asked you what, what it was you did. But, you know, can you, in sort of terms that are understandable by our audience, in other words, things of one sort um tell us you know tell us, what was it you were actually trying to achieve when you were a, ke- a chemical physicist what i was doing was i was actually working with computers so it wasn't completely out of the blue that i ended up in in, in app development um i was using supercomputers to m- basically do simulations of molecules so the the movement of molecules and that was sort of quantum mechanics as well so it's it's sort of a very expensive computation so you needed to use a really big supercomputer to do that so I, I, i've actually i've actually got the number one book in the ibook store for fortran programming <laughs> unbelievably yeah but uh, there you are so um, why did you want to know how molecules moved sorry did i learn how the no, molecules yeah moved why or? no why did you yeah, want to know why did you want to know what i was doing yeah yeah, so why did you want to know why they moved? Uh, why, why do I want to know that? Uh, you, well, basically, you were trying to predict um, whether, say, a certain type of reaction would happen, like if a molecule would break, uh, or, and, you know, and how that happens. Mostly, it was about how, how it happened, learning how a certain reaction would take place, try to understand it, basically. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of visualization and things like that. I had to use... Uh, in, in Fortran. Well, no, the, the visualization I actually did in Coco, that was one of my first uh, Coco projects. But the, the main calculations were done in Fortran. Yeah. Now, you did a lot of, you did a lot of uh, writing articles and helping you know, uh, researchers and developers learn about Coco for, for them and did a lot of core animation stuff. You wrote some great articles about that. I've benefited immensely from them. <laughs> Thanks. They're a, bit, they're a bit out of date now. But, um, but at the time, actually, they were Yeah, really- they, they, I actually was involved in a, in a, in a website called macresearch.org. And um, that was sort of for scientists, Mac-using scientists. This, is, this was actually before the, the iPhone was even there. So I wrote a series called Coco for Scientists. Uh, so it was a bit of a niche niche market, but uh, they're, they're still the, the articles are still up. I think a lot of most of the links will be broken, but uh, you can still find them. We will put a put a, a broken link to it ourselves. Just to <laughs> right, okay, um, right. Let's before we get onto our main subject for the day, let's deal with a little bit of the news. I think um, just before we came on air, um, Apple confirmed the October the twenty third uh, iPad Mini event. Well, they've confirmed an event on um, October the twenty third. Um, They've just entitled it, we've got a little bit more to show you, or a little more to show you, and there is uh, the Apple logo on the invite. So it's not specifically declaring it definitely is an iPad, but are we all agreed it's going to be an iPad? 
you know, yeah, I, I, I really don't. Yeah, but then didn't there wasn't there also supposed to be like a, a whatever a MacBook? Uh, what do you call it? MacBook Air with Retina display. Maybe it's that, or maybe maybe what they are doing is they're announcing which third party developers they're whose lives they're going to ruin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see, I, I think it's going to be an iPad because you know they did the iPhone event on in September. Um, you know, and I don't think if it if it was from like a MacBook Air, they would they would probably just now leave it till the new year because yeah, the MacBook Airs are going to sell for Christmas anyway. You know, but this is about getting a new device out in a in a sort of good gift price. You know, if they're going to do something at two hundred, three hundred dollars, that's a good gift level price range. And so getting it out now in order to get it into the you know Christmas stockings, I think is is why I think it probably is an iPad. Right, makes yeah. sense. Certainly, they've 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 got to kind of uh, cover their flank with the, the the Kindle devices, right? I mean, in that price point, and yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think they can. They have to bring out a smaller iPad. I think I don't think they can avoid it for much longer. Um, I think with the with the the uh, laptops, I think it was not supposed to be a, a an Air, but but a thirteen inch MacBook Pro or something. But it's just a rumor anyway, I guess. So. But yeah, um, I'm 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 actually waiting for the MacBook Air. I'm hoping that at some point they'll do that because um, I prefer that so much to the to the bigger MacBook Pro. So yeah, I think yeah, a, a 13 inch Retina MacBook Air with 16 gig of RAM, and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> now this I have to laugh at. So so Josh says, yeah, I develop for TV must pay lots of if a couple hundred dollar device is a stocking stuffer. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, did, didn't didn't you know, Joshua, that the you know, that, that this company, this podcast, is uh, made me mega rich? You should see what we charge the sponsors for this show. There we are. Uber yeah. himself is, yes. is, is sick with envy. The reason the reason that sometimes there's that rustling sound on the line, it, it's got nothing to do with yeah you know, my chin rubbing against my mic or anything. It's all the money I'm surrounded by, just piles falling over. <laughs> Are you typing, John? I know, I'm basically entering new values into the spreadsheet. It's like, I enjoy it. as the money comes in, I just like entering it. Yes, it's, it's good. Job. John, this is why John could afford a new uh, Mac Pro every uh, every three months to make up for the keyboard he's broken from hitting it so hard. <laughs> now, oh. but, but, now, Scotty, you were just in Montreal, weren't you? Montreal, as it's, uh, I Montreal. think it's... Montreal, Montreal. Montreal. Um, yeah, um, basically, um, yeah, went to Canada just for the weekend, um, as one does, to uh, Singleton, um, to Montreal, which we were in uh, old Montreal, or Montreal, um, which is beautiful. Um, the rest of Montreal, well, I hope I'm not too offensive, I've just said it's like America <laughs> with French, um, but um, <laughs> but uh, old Montreal is uh, lovely, but uh, Singleton, great conference, Um I hope the guys don't mind, but I really think Singleton is probably the new C4. Um, you know, it, 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 it's not about technical talks. It's not about, um, you know, it, it's about broadening your mind. It's a sort of pretty loose themed setup. All the talks were really good. Um, starts on Friday night, runs through Saturday and then sort of finishes sort of Sunday morning. So it's a really quick and fast conference. About a hundred people there. Um, put together by a great team and, and it was just really fun but it was really great it's a, I realised it's the first time in about three maybe even four years where I've been to a conference other than Dub Dub um, where you know it's been a community conference but I've not been speaking or I've not been organising the thing so it was really nice just just to hang out and um, uh, yeah jet lag over a weekend caught me a bit so maybe I didn't stay out and drink as much beer as I would have done but yeah it was a really good time and that they were videoing it, so it should all be out. And it was great to see uh, a really interesting um, point, which maybe we can bring up again in a minute when Drew starts us on our subject, is um, Michael Jurowitz, who used to be an Apple evangelist, was talking. I think it's the first conference he's done since he left Apple. Um, and he was looking at um, App Store Dynamics, um, specifically for the Mac App Store. And he was comparing um, the top paid chart and the top grossing charts and he was looking at the average prices of the apps within them and something like in the uh, top paid chart the average price of an app was $4.99 whereas in the top grossing chart the average price of an app was closer to $30 
Um, and he was making the argument that we're all pricing our apps far too cheap and if we want to make money and live, we should at least at minimum double all our prices. Um, it, it sounded like it was something he'd been dying to say but not been allowed to before and he was now getting it off his chest, which I thought was really quite interesting. It's interesting that he should say that because uh, Apple seemed to be seemed to be pushing people in the other direction, didn't they? they with their uh, iWork pricing, for example, they were pricing their apps at fifteen fifteen dollars, twenty dollars, and it's difficult to price your app at thirty or forty dollars if if uh, people say, "Oh, look, but Pages costs nineteen dollars." It was, so, but he was making the point that the top grossing apps in the chart right now are already at that price. Though the people who are actually yeah, making yeah, money yeah. are already yeah. at that price. They're not sort of wanted to be at that price. They're all, the people who are making the most money are, make, are selling their apps for more. Um, and I guess what Apple, if you look at Apple, in fairness to Apple, um, you know, if you divide the old price of iLife or iWork by the number of apps in it, you know, the apps have probably actually got slightly more expensive than they used to be when they were just in one bundle. Hmm. Um, so anyway, it was it was an it was a it was it was an interesting point he was making, and he put lots of graphs up there because everything when it's in the graph is true. Um, uh, and he he was also talking very much about how to work with Apple and, and lots of other things. And I'm gonna you know, we'll put a link to the video when it's up. I don't know how long that'll take, um, but I found his whole pricing thing was quite quite an interesting. Um, thing he says, you know, whatever your price is today, go out there and double it at minimum. Um, you know, it, it's and. I, it's quite true. Just working around Singleton um, and and speaking to people, you know, there are not that many people uh, who are getting to live off their direct app sales. Almost everybody is doing consulting to back up the money. Um, you know, and that's just an, eventually going to be an unsustainable um, ecosystem because as soon as people realise they can't make any money from the apps, all the consulting will dry up as well. Um, so you know, he 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 was it was quite a passionate plea really for developers to put the price of their apps up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, it's it's interesting that it's come up at this point because I, oh, we can talk about this a bit later maybe. But um, I've got an app at five dollars and another app at thirty dollars, and I make a lot more from the thirty dollar app. So yeah, I I have to agree. So it's time for you to admit finally that Hawker was right. <laughs> well, thirty dollars I don't re- still don't regard as a particularly expensive. Uh, I think I think Kevin was talking about fifty dollars, sixty dollars. Um, and I must say that when I've had sales, uh, you know, for ten dollars or fifteen dollars, um, they've been they, they have been my biggest months. So I, I, I'm not I'm not I'm not sure. You know, I I agree you can't make a living at five dollars, but. 10, 15, maybe, you know, the, the, the scale makes a difference. Okay, but well, it, but some people buy because tell it's him, a... Tell s- him on air that he wasn't completely wrong. He wasn't completely wrong. And I've, oh. I, have, I have maintained my price. I haven't come down in price with my app. So um, I guess I, guess I, I agree. That's I think the okay. interesting thing is, is what you say about you, your best months of sales, but people... People love a sale. They think they're getting yeah. something for less than it really is. You know, I, 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 I would I would be surprised if you made the same money every month if it wasn't a sale, but it was at that price. Um, anyway, it's an interesting. Yeah, but I mean, say 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 I take my thirty dollar app and I I sell it for ten dollars. I I then have to make three times the sales to to make uh, the same money, and I made a lot more than that, right? So in in my in my in uh, August I think was my sale month. Um, I think I must must have made six times as much because I, it was my biggest month uh, selling at $10. So I don't know. It's always going to be an interesting one. Anyway, let's let's put this uh, this uh, conversation on track and we'll come back to this subject in a minute once we've had time to do some deep research on it. Um, or give it a bit more thing. Okay, Drew, we're going to talk today about being um, you know, a one-man band, um, a, a developer just working for yourself, producing your own application. We're not talking about someone doing consultancy as such. We're talking about someone who's working on their own app by themselves. Um, you did a um, session on this at um, ObjectCGN. Uh, a little... Yeah, we're just Objective to, Cologne. Yeah, uh, yeah. just call it Objective Cologne. Uh, yeah, okay. I want to call so, it by its initials. <laughs> <laughs> Ob- CGN, Objective Yeah, that Cologne. was back in um, uh, back about a month ago, I think. Um, it was a, a fun conference by Stuff MC, um, who's, who's a regular at uh, NS Conference as well. He has. He's been to every single and one. Mike Lee was there, and a few other great speakers, uh, Alexander Repti, and, and and a few others. Um, yeah, it was really it was a good conference. It was a little bit like a um, little bit like NS Conference on that sort of scale, maybe, maybe a bit smaller, hundred people or so, and. Uh, 
had a good time and I talked I thought I I did something a bit different to what I normally do and that is I talked about my company rather than about a technical topic. And uh, we're going to sort of have a bit of a, a conversation around that today, um, which is which is great. So, okay, um, where should we start? Uh, let's deal with a few pros and cons of being a you know a, a by yourself app developer. Uh, I'm handing it over to you now, really, and then I'll sort of just and John will ask questions as we go along to make it look like we're intelligent. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, it, it's fairly self-explanatory, I guess. If you if you're working on your own. Let's take the cons. The cons you 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 can potentially be lonely if you if you don't if you if you're a very social person. So you have to be pre- possibly be prepared to go to a say like a shared workplace like Amsterdam or something like that if you if you're a very social person. Um, I, I personally don't have much pr- trouble with being alone, but um, I, I guess some people would. So that that's one downside, I guess. One of the cons. Uh, other cons include things like you know if you uh, it's Stability, right? So uh, from one month to the next, your your salary can go drop by a third or go up by three. You know, it's 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 that sort of uh, my worst months are about a third of my best months. So you have to account for that um, in the future. And also, you've got things like you know possibility that you could get Sherlocked or or you know that a competitor could come into the market, that sort of thing. So basically, stability is is one of the big. You know, it's, you don't have a stable income, you don't have a stable um, market you know the market can change very quickly and uh if, and that can be stressful i guess it's, it's you know if things go badly it can be stressful so they're the cons and what are the pros why did i actually do it if it, if, it, if it's so if it's so horrible um the reason for me the most important thing is being being my own boss um i got sick of of, of doing projects which i knew were a dead end or a waste of time and uh, I wanted to control my own destiny, basically. And even if that, it, and then if you fail, okay, you fail, and it's your fault. Um, you, you know, you can handle that. But um, it's it's worse when you, you know, you know something's going to fail beforehand, and you do it, and it, and it's just a waste of time. So, so for me, being my own boss was important. Um, yeah, just just being able to sort of uh, choose my own hours and and fit in with the kids at school and whatnot cause I, because I've got a family. Um, yeah, just flexibility, really, and you know, being able to work from anywhere—that's that, also not that I've ever had to u- really use that. But it, you know, if I wanted to, I could go to Australia for three months or whatever, and and, it, and my business would just keep running as long as I've got an internet connection and it's uh, it, it keeps working. Um, if I remember rightly, from you, uh, Mental Case was your first app you released as a company, but you started developing that while you were still working at the university. Yeah, they uh, originally about um I guess I got interested in 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 the Mac or Mac OS 10 around 2000. And that was as a user of of the of the Mac. So I've got a I've actually still got a a, a wrapped copy of the public beta. Um I accidentally bought two copies online and I just I've just kept one. So so that's how far it goes back, but I at that time I wasn't actually a Mac developer and in 2001 um I started developing and I developed first, unbelievably, I developed a project, uh, uh, an app for the stock market, which is a, probably not many people remember. It was an app called Trade Strategist. And it was a pretty bad app. It, it didn't make a, an enormous amount of money, but it, it taught me a lot of things about selling apps online and, and opening electronic stores and things like that. So I learned a lot. And I also learned Coco, of course, developing that app. And I think... I think there's a that's a useful thing to do if you want to get into this sort of business. The best way to learn how to to make apps is to make apps, right? To actually just start on a project, even if it's a bad app like my app was. Um, yeah, and then mental case around 2006, uh, I just lost interest in the in the stock market app, and and I I started developing mental case, which is yeah, a study app. It's an app for students, basically, um, sort of flashcard app. And that was it. that was as a hobby. That was sort of like my bootstrapping phase, where I would work, try to work, you know, for half an hour or an hour a day after work. And you know, that takes a while. It took me a year, I think, before I got the app to market. Um, and it wasn't, you know, the most complicated app in the world at that time. It was not a particularly difficult app to develop, but it took me a year to do it. And um, but then from then on, you know, it start, it slowly built. The iPhone came out. Uh, made an iPhone version, and yeah, in 2009 I was able to quit my job, and and from there, after that, of course, you're full time, and you, and the app just um, you know gets better and better. 
So, okay, so let, let's deal with a couple of points that have come up from that. So, do you believe you would have been able to survive if you just said, I'll oh, stuff this, I don't want to be a chemical physicist anymore, I'm going to go write an app, and you just quit your job and go and done it? Uh, on day one, you mean? Or mm, wait, wait, Yeah, on day one. Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I would have had to rely on my wife's income or something for, for a while. Um, I actually did it as a hobby. Uh, and built it up to the point where the income, and I actually revealed the figures at, at Objective Cologne, so I might as well tell you them now. Um, in, in 2009, I had about 30,000 uh, euros income from, from Mental Case, which is not a, a, big, a big salary, but... Um, That's next about, to my- what, $45,000? Yeah, yeah, about $40,000, yeah. So it, it's, it's very, it wasn't enough, really. It was, it was smaller than what I was earning at the university, but uh, I, I decided at that point, I read the four-hour work week, which I think everyone knows about, and that just inspired me to say, oh, you know, stuff it, let's just, uh, let's just try it. You know, um, it's, 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 it's some income, it's not an enormous income, but I think I can build on that. So, but the point is, thirty thousand euros is it's you know okay, it's not a um, it's effectively livable wage where you are immediately. But the point is, is a lot more than an app that doesn't exist yet is making, and it's a lot more than many apps ever make. Right, right, exactly. It, it was it, it was a a risk, but it wasn't uh, a, an enormous gamble. I would say. I mean, if you're going to quit and just start from scratch, then that is a big gamble. Whereas I had in in theory, I had a proven idea. There were people buying the app. Uh, you know, you always want more sales, but but you know the the idea was kind of proven, really. Okay, so you've just said it was a, a, an idea. Here's um, my next question. Then, um, you know, the product that you choose to develop. I mean, you started with what do you call it, a trade strategist or stock strategist, um, because it was an area you were interested in at the time. Um, right. Did you? Did you do you think it's important for a one man company to have to work on something that interests them, and you know, but equally, you know, what sort of process of product selection do you think people need to go through as well? Because obviously, just because it interests you doesn't mean it's going to be successful. Yeah, I, I think it's people always say it should be something that you know you should should scratch an itch or or something. I mean, it's nice if you can do that, but. If it just means you're going to write another Twitter client or, or, or you know, just, just writing developer tools, and then it's not very useful. What I would say is try to find some area of interest outside of programming, outside of development, and, uh, and develop something there, and preferably in a, in a niche. Um, my, my thing is, is really if you're a small company, you don't want to compete with Microsoft, you don't want to compete with Apple. You don't want to compete with Twitter or Google or whatever. You, just, you want to find a niche that they don't care about, and you want to you want to try to develop a tool in, in that niche um, because you've got a global market. There's even a, even a niche can have a lot of a lot of people in it. Um, so that's really what mental case is. It's it's admittedly a biggish niche. It's, it's students, but um, you know it, it's not a sexy app. It's not it's not the sort of app that gets a lot of cover, interest from from develop, fellow developers. But um, you know, it, it's it's it, it works. You know, you you make an app for people and that that other otherwise have a very poor selection of apps, and and they appreciate it and they buy it. So, and you can charge more too. You can actually charge more when you when you're in a niche market than uh, than than otherwise. I mean, I think um, yeah, the thing here is that uh, yeah. Say, say, you know, thirty thousand uh, dollars. Sorry, forty thousand dollars or whatever it is that you said Mental Case was making in its early years or whatever. Um, it's you know, to a, com- a company with staff of almost any size. It doesn't have to be a very big company. You know, a company with four or five staff. You know, you know they're going to be racking through that sort of money every month. Uh, right. Um, exactly. You know, just paying staff, paying for offices and whatever else. So, so they don't have the time or the opportunity you know to put money into that type of um uh, project that's going to be a slow build because it, they just can't do it um whereas you know for the for especially someone starting on, on a part-time project and moving into it you know the, the, the that type of product you know can um begin to uh you know grow into a decent income but do you think that the size of the 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 problem you try and solve you need to be careful that you don't bite off something too big i mean you've chosen a product that really has a very specific um set of not use cases because lots of people would use it but what the features it's trying to provide are quite 
sort of narrow and yes you might keep making advancements and adding little bits here and there but you're not sort of like producing this product that gets broader and broader and broader is that important as a one-man developer to keep something that's actually containable is part of your product choice yeah, I think you have to you have to keep your your software focused. You don't want to you don't want to try to solve too many problems uh, in, in one piece of software because it just becomes a very very mediocre app. So you should keep it focused. But I think there is something to be said for trying to do something difficult or hard. I think I've, I've heard other people say that as well. By doing by taking on something difficult and and for example, Mendel Case is just a flashcard app, sure, but it's 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 a, a, quite an advanced flashcard app, and it took me, for example, the the second version took two years full time, so that's quite a quite a, uh, a big app. Um, it's useful to do that because you give people something that they don't maybe don't already have, and you also sort of protect yourself a little bit a little bit against competitors and whatnot. Because if you do something hard, it's it's um, it's difficult to, to duplicate. So um, yeah, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say just just do a, a little utility or whatever. You could, I think there's something to be said for taking on a difficult problem. So, okay, um, obviously uh, you don't have to reveal, well, you can if you want to, but I'm not supposed to. So you moved from doing it part-time and, you know, inputting into it, and I'm assuming that got it to Mental Case 1, and you were making, you know, you said 30,000 euros off, off the year in 2009. Right. Did quitting your job and working on it full-time and spending that effort... Um, on getting release two ready and probably the other stuff you put around getting the website better and marketing you know did you did you notice a, a difference in in the way your software performed that you can add to the best of your ability say by actually going full-time that allowed that to happen or was that more of just of a lifestyle choice and you could have probably got the growth staying the way you were doing it before no no i say I, I, def- the growth definitely came from um from just being able to spend full time work, all my time working on it because version two which came out a year ago now um was really chalk and cheese with version one it was it was a much more advanced product a much more polished product i was a much better developer when i wrote the second version and i also had a lot more time to spend on it so um and you know you, you i just have to look at the graphs and and and, and from sort of then on it's uh it's been i think uh, two or three times as much uh sales so so there's no question uh that, that that helped and i actually did something really you know that they say you initially should never do that is i rewrote the app right I, I rewrote it from scratch and they they i hear that a lot that you should never do that and i understand why you should not do it because it is um you know it's easy to to, to end up with vaporware it's easy to to not be able to finish um but if you but sometimes that's sort of what you have to do i mean i, I think there are cases where it even though it's difficult, you have to do that, and that's what I did. Uh, I, I just felt like it; it had to be. I had to do it again, and um, and I don't regret it because, um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll just tell you how much I, I I earned this year because I told this at uh, obje- uh, Objective Cologne as well, so it's in the public domain anyway. Um, so I went from thirty thousand or so in in two thousand and nine. And if you look at the graph, it just sort of increases steadily. And, and this year, it's around 140, 150 uh, is what, I, what I'm predicting. And that's, that's in euros. So you're talking, what, I, don't, I guess, almost $200,000. Uh, which, which is actually now a, I mean, okay, you are doing more than, we'll discuss this in a minute, you're now more than just the one-man band as far as the actual thing is concerned and we'll discuss what i mean by that in a minute but you know that's gone from a not survivable living to actually a very healthy living yeah 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 for for, for me it's a healthy living at least yeah. <laughs> well you choose to live you know in an area that's you know not in the center of a city and not costing you a fortune but i mean right. but that now you know one of the questions been asked on the chat room uh, i mean i know now you engage the use of someone like a designer because you use wrinkly p um and you know, are there other people you engage in this now? So really, even though you're a one-man development shop, you know, you know, what's the sort of sphere that works on this product now as far as engaging other other services of any form around your business is yeah. concerned? I mean, mostly it's still just me. Uh, I've always worked with a, uh, with a designer, with Michello Lupi, um, Wrinkly P Design, because... Because design is so important in, uh, in, in, certainly in Apple, in the Apple sphere, uh, for Apple apps in the Apple, on the Apple platforms, you really have to have good design. So, 
actually, even when I didn't, you know, I wasn't earning much money uh, doing it, I, I still uh, had to, you know, try to get a designer to help. So, yeah, that, that's, that's it's something that I can't do, do very well myself. So, I, I, always, I always outsource that. And there's actually uh, quite a lot of things that I outsource these days. As, I, as, as I've got bigger, I've, I've, or at least uh, more income, I've started to outsource things like user support even. Um, there's a company called Aptfolk. And uh, I've, I've, I let them sort of do the triage of my, of my user support so that the simple questions they can do and I just get the, the you know, the more difficult questions and, and it really cuts down on the, uh, on the stress. You know, you get a, you get a, a degree of separation from, from, from uh, users. Now, you might say that's a bad thing, but actually in terms of your, your, your sanity, I think it's a good thing because you can take things too personally. If it's your app and someone criticizes it, um, you take it personally. So I actually like having, uh, you know, a, a company like Aptfolk in the middle that sort of, Distance me a little bit from the from from the the criti- you know criticism or whatever, uh, so that I don't you know they don't take it personally. Whereas whereas if I was doing answering the same email, I would take it more personally. So yeah, I, I've I've got yeah user support design. These things all cost a bit of money. Um, I sometimes outsource a little bit of coding uh, on my new product cream, which we, which we'll probably talk about soon. I did outsource uh, two or three weeks of coding there. So yeah, there, there are costs certainly, but it's 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 fundamentally still a one man one man band. So really, I mean, you're just uh, choosing to get out to, to to put stuff out where it's either outside of your abilities, um, or you think distracting you from the main thing you should be doing, or actually you just think it's healthy. Yeah, right. Uh, exactly. So with design, it's a question of not you know I'm just not good at that, so I, I let someone else do that. Um, yeah, with 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 the user support, it's 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 just a, that's really a lifestyle decision. I just I would prefer to have a bit more. I'm prepared to pay uh, to not have to uh, worry too much about it. You know, only do only do some a little bit a little bit of support. And you know, and, and for outsourcing code in terms of outsourcing the code, that's been more a question of yeah, I haven't got much time at the moment. I'm working on one particular thing. Uh, I really should have the other thing done, so I'll pay someone to do that for two or three weeks. Um, so when you're outsourcing, I mean, obviously, AppFolk is a long-term relationship. You, you I, I don't know. You maybe you tried two or three of these people before you got it right. I, I don't know how it works, but you know, when it came to outsourcing code, how did you go about that? How did you go about sort of finding someone you would trust to give your code out to? Well, uh, f- actually, the people that I work with in terms of the code, so AppFolk are, are user support, but um, in terms of my the people that I work to for work with for the code, um, they are usually people that I know or friends. Uh, so just just acquaint people that I trust and and I know they're good coders and I I, I take them on uh, for that reason. So for example, I've worked with Georg Tuparev. Um, I, I I think you've probably had him on once or twice. Um, and Elwin Zoudefeld, who's a, a local Dutch uh, developer who I know um, from around Amsterdam. So. Yeah, just people that I know basically, and I trust. Um, that's how I choose them. I, I don't. I don't go to India, for example, and uh, and take someone take on, take on a, a company in India or anything like that. Okay, that's uh, that all sounds good. Okay, um, John, I'm about to move us on to Drew's second app. But do you have any questions in there? Well, it, it's a it's a, a question related to the two year things because we we mentioned it last last week. You know, I've been doing a lot of consulting work, and and the the one thing I miss about being you know working full time on Memory Miner is that I can I can work on it until I think it's right and ready. And when you're doing something for for somebody else, it's like they'll set the deadline, and and you end up having to cut corners often. The the magic two years. What was it about the two years? Why why two years and not eighteen months or two years and not you know, two and a half years. How, how do you, can you talk about how you, you decide it's now time to ship? Uh, how, what, the two years, it was, of course, it was never supposed to be two years, right? I mean, it's always, right, yeah. it's always three weeks, sure, uh, three, three months down the track, right? Oh, I'll be finished in three months. And then six months later, it's, oh, I'll be th- finished in three months. Um, now, let, let me refine the question a little bit. I said, did you, did you start out and you said, here's, here's kind of development plan. Here's the features that I must meet. And here's kind of, you know, the, the minimum threshold of, of, of outstanding bugs or, or whatever. Did you have kind of an objective measure or was it kind of a, I, a basically thing? what I did was I just had a, a list, um, 
of things that I'd heard a lot from users, basically the features that I thought the app had to have. And I tried to, I did try to implement uh, most of them. A, a, a couple of them, I think, probably got scrapped along the way. But yeah, it it was never supposed to be two years. But at, at some point, you just have to have to ship. And um, and yeah, I, I certainly understand why people uh, worry about rewriting the code base because it can be pretty demoralizing when you're in that middle stretch and you're just having to add, you know, one feature after the next, and you don't seem to be getting any closer. Uh, it can be demoralizing. Um, so, yeah, you have to think carefully if you're going to do that. But um, ultimately, I don't regret it. Um, but, yeah, it, it it's just a, it was for me just a question of, the, you know, the, this is a, a set of baseline features that I think it has absolutely has to have. And um, and I'm not shipping until that they are in there. That, yeah, that was that was basically it. I said to remember, um, just uh, met you once or twice during the development of uh, of two and it was always a uh, yeah i'm about as far as away as i was last time <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, like a mirage the closer you get the further away it gets right i mean uh, you know it's always the same distance uh software can be a bit like that so okay just i, I said i was going to move on but i'm not going to um do you mind if you've got time if we just do a bit more on this no that's that's fine yeah okay um did you see, so you quit your job in 2009 to work on Mental Case. Now, the reality is most people didn't see the full results of that until you know the 18 months, two years later when version two came out. But I mean, were you focusing on other marketing activities as well to allow the sales to grow with version one until you got to version two? Or really it was once version two came out, you that's it, then the sales grew. Uh, there was there was some growth there because I I had an iPhone app as well, um, and I I was constant I was you know doing little iterations on that as well. So so I, I had to do version two uh, simultaneously with you know sort of updates to the iPhone app and uh, some small improvements to the version one app on the Mac. Um, so it, it wasn't so clear cut that I you know I stopped one day I just stopped working on the old version. Um, so there was some growth, but but yeah, the real spike and the real uh, the real boost came when I released version two and um, you know got some featuring from Apple and whatnot and uh, a lot more. Yeah, a, a lot a lot of people were sort of waiting for version two. Uh, to be honest, uh, I'd, I'd made the the the, the ultimate uh, blunder in in announcing that there'd be a version two, uh, which you should never do, um, and announcing even announcing some features. Um, I learned my lesson from that, but. Um, yeah, so a lot of people were sort of sitting around, when's, when's version 2 coming? And, you know, that, that puts a lot of pressure on you. And so that's exactly why you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't announce, uh, pre-announce things. But um, anyway, I eventually got there. And, and, and so there was a, bit, a pent-up demand for the app already, I think. And, uh, and that helped. But you, you didn't promise free upgrades, though, did you? Oh, version 2, version two was not a free upgrade, no. Um, there, were, there were free upgrades for version one and and then version two was a paid upgrade and what i did with version two was i made it mac app App store only i just decided i was going to do what Mm. pixelmator did and i just decided uh you know because i'm a one person company i didn't want that the hassle of serial numbers and and all that other stuff that i used to have to do um i was quite happy just to say yeah i'm going to keep it simple and just say it's mac app store only and there was some kickback from that for sure. There were some people that were annoyed, um, you know. Uh, and I tried to, I lowered the price, to, you know, initially just so that it, to try to make it a little bit easier on people, you know, for the upgrade. Um, but certainly, some people were very angry. But yeah, I mean, that's you're going to get that in any upgrade. You're going, you're always going to get people that are angry. I had a, an interesting um, one of the presenters at uh, Singleton this weekend um, was, um, oh. Got to forgive me because I've forgotten her name, but she's a sort of um, vice president of product and marketing and sales and about everything other than development. I think at um, the Omni Group. Oh yeah. And um, you know they were partly arguing. You know, you know, here's a great example of people who are doing very well while maintaining very good prices on their products. They've not felt mm-hmm. the need to go to the bottom. Now, right. I can't remember if she, I don't think she revealed numbers in a session. It might have been in a conversation afterwards, so I won't. I'll I'll be careful because um, I don't you know know in what context is being shared. But however, you know, 
they are very public in saying, you know, the Mac App Store has given them a lot, a lot of new users. Right. So, the Mac yeah, App Store, you the say. The Mac App Store is, you know, it just brought a lot of new users that weren't using Omni products before. Um, you know, and here they are is people selling their products at $40, $60, $90, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, Omni are a great, great example of a, of a company. Um, but yeah, that, that, that exactly uh, maintains high prices and does really well. If you look in the top grossing charts, they're always they're always in the top uh, twenty or thirty or something with OmniFocus, I think. And yeah, they've got they've got a whole range of uh, of apps that do really well. Um, so yeah, that that's sort of a, a guiding light, I guess. But they've also got probably I don't know twenty or thirty people working there, I guess. So they just hired their sixtieth recently. Sixty. They're 60, yeah, so they've got a lot of people to maintain Oh, 16, okay, sorry. Right, okay, okay, so we're talking about marketing and sales a little bit. Well, we weren't, but I'm going to make pretend we were. So what sort of, um, we really will move on to your new products in a minute. Um, You know, so what sort of marketing do you do as a one-man band to try and sell your product? Um, I I do do Google AdWords and I do Facebook ads. Uh, I don't think they're very effective, uh, to be honest. I think they probably just break even uh i i keep doing it just because i think you know i want to i want to keep the word of mouth going but actually i think if i stopped tomorrow it would make no difference um i don't do too much advertising um what i do do is i collect email addresses so on my website if you click the link to 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 download the app um i i first like apple used to do it you you go through a page where you can give your email and it's it's purely opt-in you can you can skip it uh there's no that's no problem but um in this way i can get about 10 or 15 emails a day which works out to about five thousand a year and how do i use that i use that to sort of gain traction if i've got a new product or a new release what i do is i mail out uh with campaign monitor and it costs me about a hundred dollars for say ten thousand email addresses and uh what that does is that, that that gives you some traction in the app store because if you just put your app in the app store, uh, it'll just sit there at the bottom of the app store for forever if you don't do anything. Uh, but with with ten thousand emails going out, you get maybe a hundred people actually buying the app, and that that will put you in the charts usually, and and that's usually enough to get Apple to notice, get other users to notice. Once you're in the charts, other users can buy the app, uh, and hopefully Apple will see that and 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 feature your app. So, so that's how I found that really to be very effective in in the releases I've done in the last two or three years, um, using email mail outs to uh, to gain traction uh, when I first release is really useful, I think. So that's, I mean, obviously, in each if you're collecting a few a day, fifteen doesn't sound you know like a huge number to start with. Although many people would love fifteen emails a day, um, yeah. But as you say, if that builds up a couple of years to ten thousand, and that begins to exactly. You, you, exactly. You're now working it's, with a mailing list that has some effect when you use it. Sorry, your, your mailing list is now of the size that actually even a very small yeah. response in form of. I, I think sometimes people send out an email and expect fifty percent of the people to respond to it, and I think oh, you know, no, the no, numbers no. are ridiculously low. I mean, if you get a one percent response, then you're doing well. Is, is exactly, it's like any tool. So you need to really- build your you know, effectively. If you're using email as marketing, you need to build your email list to the point where it's one hundred times bigger than the actual response you're looking exactly. for. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it's um, it's. It's uh, it's the same with everything really. With with any sort of advertising, if you get one or two percent, you're doing really well. Probably um, you don't. Yeah. So if if for every hundred people that visit my website, I think only a couple of uh, a few percent actually go on to buy the app. So so yeah, you just have to factor that in. And uh, like yeah, like you say, fifteen a day. That sounds really small until you realise. Yeah, okay, that's that's what three hundred or four fifty or whatever a month, and then over a year, that's about five thousand. You know, um, so and then you started to get useful numbers. Yeah, so. so I, I mean, there's the point about the quality as well of email addresses. I mean, I, I'm prepared to do a few numbers here myself. Actually, um, I develop a TV. We have a very small email list, uh, but our email list is um, it's very responsive. I mean, I, I have a 51% open rate, which is you know, you tell that to most marketers, and you know, the fact that even 50% of your if people open your emails is is mm-hmm. an amazing. Now I know sometimes that's because it appears in Apple Mail and it's got auto open and all the rest of it. Um 
But I think on an average, you know, uh, something like 9 or 10% actually go through to the website that the email was about, which is phenomenally high um, in percentage terms. But my email list is very small. Um, right, right. So actually, even though those numbers sound very big, my actual returns are you know, not great because I really just physically don't have enough people on my email list. And, you know, a good marketer would sit there and tell me, you know, you know, if you, you're obviously selling stuff people want and doing stuff because your email list currently shows that. But if you can't get, you know, another 10,000 people onto that list, you're in trouble. Right. Yeah, you have to, I think you have to, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not very nice to, to sort of ask people for their email. Um, so I think um, you have to, have to be careful doing that. You certainly don't want to demand that, that they give you your email. But um, I think just giving them opportunities to enter an email. I mean, a lot of people that came to the iDeveloper website, I'm sure, would be happy to get um, the, news, the newsletter. And so you just have to make it very easy for them just to enter their email address and be done. And that's that's basically what I've done. You just enter your email address, and Campaign Monitor actually collects the address. They've got a little bit of JavaScript or something, and so I actually don't have to do very much. I just have a little field where you fill it in and click submit, and that's it. Yeah, I have one of those on the site, but I don't make a big deal of it. Um, you know, but no. I, you know, anyway, this is yeah. about me, and I. It's not about me. It's about you. Okay, so now here you are. You're a um, solo developer. Um, solo businessman, you've built up this, um, what I think you call in the notes you sent me, a company cluster, which is this idea that you're the centre, but you've engaged a whole bunch of online services around you to make the job easier and in a sort of loose network. Um, you're doing your own marketing, mainly through email, which is interesting how you use email to sell some more because once you go up the charts, that then becomes a self-fulfilling um, way forward. So you're doing all this stuff and then you choose to release a... A second product. So now I know you have the iPhone and the iPad and the Mac, but really that's a product group, isn't it? You, you've been focusing right. around the same set of users, effectively. And yes, then you come yep. to um, release a second product, which is in a totally different sphere, um, doing something totally different. So just just tell us a little bit about that journey, that process. Okay, well, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I wasn't really uh, planning to release this new product. The product itself is called Cream. It's... Um, it's a newsreader, so it's not a particularly happening space at the moment. But uh, I developed, I think at, when I was still at the university, I developed a little prototype of an, uh, an app that would be just sort of a, a newsreader, a single stream newsreader, a bit like a Twitter client, just one stream. And the idea was that I would use the latent semantic mapping framework, which is in, the, in, the, uh, in Mac OS X, uh, which is used by mail for doing junk mail filtering. So what I wanted to do was to have an app, a newsreader that would sort of train itself to learn what you liked. And then you could use that in future to filter the best, the best stories effectively. So it would, it would be like junk mail filtering effectively with a newsreader. And so I made this prototype actually quite a long time ago. Uh, it must have been four or five years ago. And it just sat there and sat there. It was really just a, a, a sort of a, something I played with occasionally, but never really intended to release. And about three or four months ago, I guess, I decided, um, uh, you know, it'd be fun to just put it out. And so I actually paid, uh, paid someone to spend three weeks on it, add sort of the, the read it later services and, and the Google reader import and whatnot. And then I spent myself about three weeks on just polishing the app and uh, with my de- designer, Marcello Lupi. And we released it just last week, about five days ago, I think. So it was just a little lab. Uh, it's a little bit of a bit of fun, really. It was uh, about six weeks' work, and um, it's it's been going well. It's not it's, it's not going well as as well as Mental Case, but it's nice to have it's nice to have a second app uh, in in the lineup because it it's sort of it's you know diversifying the company a bit. It's when you've got all your eggs in one basket in in Mental Case, that was a bit of a bit of a risk. It's nice to have a secondary app that's in a completely different space. And uh, and to have yeah, just it's also fun to do, of course. Uh, totally different sort of app. But that's quite a big difference, isn't it? Between um, you know, get the app out there in 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 six eight weeks compared to the two years you spent on mental case right. mental case two. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and I, but I I think you saw you also see the difference in terms of the sales and things. Um, you know, I can only charge five dollars for it because it's not really a, a really advanced app, um, and there's a lot of competition in that market as well. There's some very good apps for five dollars, so you can't really 
charge much more than that. So uh, this was, yeah, this was very much a sort of a, you know, a slam bam, thank you, ma'am, uh, uh, project. And uh, but yeah, I, I don't expect. I, I certainly don't expect it to supplant uh, Mental Case as the most important app by any means. Um, so doing, I think doing something hard in the long run that pays off, right? Doing spending two years doing an app that will give you long term, uh, a bit more long term security. Whereas an app like Cream, you know, it's got a nice spike. Apple featured it, so it got it's a nice spike. It's it's a bit of pocket money. But to be honest, I don't expect too much in the long term. It'll be a little bit extra money each month. So for someone coming to be a one-man developer now, I mean, you've just said there, you know, you, you have no very low expectations of, of what Cream's long-term future is going to be based on, based on your experience. Does this mean that, you know, are we basically agreeing with Michael Jurowitz that we were talking about at the start, that if you... If you want to make a living uh, as an app developer, you need to be investing in something um, that's uh, that's a substantial enough product that you need that you can charge a decent price for. Yeah, I I, I agree with uh, with Michael on that. Yeah, so absolutely. So um, I would not have picked Cream to be my primary app to be the app that I was going to bet everything on because uh exactly what he says at five dollars uh you can sell a lot of copies but you you don't rise very high up the the, the top grossing lists um so yeah it's, it's a bit it's a bit like what i was saying earlier you you i think the best chance you've got is to pick an underrepresented niche that's what i call an underrepresented niche a niche where there isn't much competition or the apps are not very good um pick a, an underrepresented niche and then make a good app like spend spend a lot of time on it and and make it really good and and do the hard thing do the hard work um because you know it's sort of like an insurance policy when you do hard work you're sort of guarding against other one other people just being able to simply easily copy your copy what you've done um which with cream is would be quite easy right someone just has to put in 6 weeks of work and they've and they've copied it so but is there a bit, is there an argument for saying, well, actually, why not just produce an app like Cream every two months? You know, does the money that uh, produces would that be livable if you only had to fund you for two months? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, probably if you had four or five creams, you might you might have a salary, a, a reasonable salary. But yeah, I mean, every app you add, you've got you're adding user support, you're at, and all of that other stuff, and you've got to keep doing updates and whatnot. So. Um, yeah, I'm I'm inclined to say if you want a stable living. Do the hard thing, or try, try to find something uh, that that hasn't been done well before, and and do it well. Excellent, John. I've been I've been rapping on a lot, and not really leaving a lot of space for you to come in. I do apologise. Have you got anything you want to ask? No, I think I I, I guess one last little precision though, because the, the the figures you quoted for for the the sales was those gross sales, or that was net after Apple's cut. Oh, uh, that's net after Apple's cut. So yeah, but that's before uh, other costs. Just what Apple sends me in a, a check. Right. Right. Okay. Well, um, Drew, that's been uh, really interesting. Now it's been so interesting, in fact, that we've forgotten to speak about our sponsor, which I'm going to do now because um, we love them. Um, so actually, you've just listened to Drew. You've been out there. You listen to this podcast. I know quite a few people listen to this podcast who aren't iOS or OS 10 developers yet, and they just have aspirations. And everything Drew said is just uh, made you really want to. And of course, you need to go and learn about iOS to do that. So. You're going to go check out our sponsors, Invasive Code, because they do iOS developer training, five-day training courses covering iOS 6. These guys have been up to date on iOS 6 you know, right from the moment it was released. Um, five days, classroom training, seven hours a day in the classroom. Then you have a few hours at night in the labs. Maximum of 10 people on the course. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it again because I'm boring, but you know, that's a key. If you're going to go to anybody for training, ask how many people are going to be on the course. It will be a good sign of what you're going to get. Um, these guys give you all the manuals that you're going to need, coffee, lunch, all the rest of it. You know, um, We've had really good feedback. Their next course is in November, on November 5th uh, in San Francisco, $2,800. But if in the inquiry email you send them, you say, everybody loves Invasive Code, they'll give you a 200 buck discount. How good is that? So we want to thank them for being our sponsor today. Um, you can check them out at training.invasivecode.com. Um, if you're looking to learn iOS, 
do yourself a favour, go check them out. Thank you very much to those guys for sponsoring the show. Right, um, I think we're going to bring that to a wrap-up now, because we've actually been, wow, we've been going on for just over an hour. That's um, that's amazing. Um, Drew, is there anything else that you feel that, you know, you need to say? Okay, here's a good question. Drew, how do you remain focused on one app for so long? That's, you know, um, uh, Joshua Nozai, who's been on the show before, is asking that question. You know, do you struggle to just stay, you know, always cream a little bit of, I just need to get my head somewhere else for a while? Yeah, I mean... Um... Well, cream, cream in, in a way, I wasn't even really intending to do very much work myself. I thought I would just outsource most of the work, and I did outsource a lot of it. Um, in the end, I did decide that I, I would polish up the app myself, uh, make it really really look, uh, look nice. So, yeah, I mean, I probably spent about three weeks doing that, and it, it, it was just fun. It's, it's fun to release something occasionally. I haven't released anything for a year, and um, it was just a bit of fun, really. Um, in terms of focusing on uh, for for a long time, like I did with Mental Case Two, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna gloss over it. It's it's not easy. It's uh, it's just putting one foot before the other. I was lucky in the sense that I had uh, other apps that were making enough money for me to live off. But um, still, there's always that nagging pressure. You know, you've got to get this thing out, and and it doesn't seem to be getting any closer. And it's it's it's, it's at times a demoralizing work. But you just have to. Yeah, I just I don't know. I just um, Turn off my head, I guess. I could turn off. My, I don't know what you say. There's a Dutch saying for this, but um, yeah, just put put my uh, consciousness on zero and and and, and, go, and keep going. <laughs> you make it sound like such an attractive lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, but no, I think but that's actually, important, isn't it? I think people I actually do people like have uh, this dream that. of being working on their own apps and, and their own thing. But actually, it's bloody hard work, and you have to be determined and focused. And yeah, you, if you go into it just thinking what a what a dream this is going to be, you're not going to last. No, I mean, I I, I, I did sound, make it sound really terrible, and I, but actually, I really do like programming. Of course, that's I really like programming Coco. So in that sense, I'm doing I am doing what I want to want to do. So that's that I, it's not it's not as terrible as as it sounds. But there are certainly times when you think, oh, you know, I, I how am I going to do this? Uh, you know, how am I going to finish this thing off? But that's the same with any worthwhile project, I would say. There's always going to be a point where it's just, you know, you're sort of at a low point and you've just got to keep pushing through the low point. And eventually you get on the downhill on the other side and and, 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 and before you know it, you've released. And before you know it, you've released. Maybe that should be the title <laughs> of the show, do you think? Especially about you, an app about before cream. Before you know it, <laughs> you've released. I'd be interested to see what Google ranking that gets. Okay. Before, be, before you know you've released Cream, right? <laughs> Software with release. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Uh, Drew, thank you very much for coming on the show. No um, problem. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, I, actually, I was in the middle of asking you a question that I then asked you a different one. Is there anything else that you feel that you must tell us before we go? I know you've given us loads, and so you're probably you know, sort of all, all drained out there, but is there anything that you just think, oh, I needed to say this? Hmm. Um, am I forgetting something? <laughs> no, no, there's no. Buy my product. So. You're I don't supposed think to I've say that. Buy my yeah. product. I didn't hear a word John said there, but I'm assuming it was funny. Um, <laughs> all right, Drew, remind everybody where they can find your software, where they can follow you on Twitter, app.net, and any of that stuff. All that stuff will be in the show notes, of course. Um, all of the links to the things that we've mentioned, such as Campaign Monitor, the Cream Newsreader, Apt Folk, um, are going to be in the show notes as well, so do check those out. Uh, but Drew, tell, tell people where they can find you. Uh, my company website is called mentalfaculty.com and my main app is mentalcaseapp.com and on Twitter I'm uh, just Drew McCormack, Drew McCormack, one word. And you're on app.net as well? Yeah, exactly the same, Drew McCormack. Uh, Excellent, a man with some consistency. Mr. Fox, give us your details. Yeah. Okay, well you can find out all about my product MemoryMiner at memoryminer.com. There are a number of blog posts about it at memoryminer.com slash blog, and you can follow me on both Twitter and AppNet as Jembe. That's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. Thank you, thank you. Now, apologies, folks, listening live for the audio quality. We are still running this off my iPhone 5. Um, I'm not even going to go into the woes we're having with the telecom provider here. Uh, it just got worse today, but never mind. Um, I'm Scotty. You can follow me on Twitter as MacDevNet. You can follow me on app.net as Scotty. Uh, please check out our offerings at iDeveloperTV. In fact, 
please go check out our iDeveloper TV video cast. It's an interview format at the moment, but there's going to be lots of tips and tricks in there as well. Um, you can find it on the iDeveloper TV um, website. And um, just uh, just go check it out and download it. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. This has been iDeveloper TV episode 69. I want to thank the chat room for being with us. I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank Invasive Code for sponsoring the show. And I want to thank Mr. Drew McCormack for his excellent um, uh, information and sharing and his willingness to be open. And, of course, I want to thank John for being my favorite co-host. <laughs> That's it, guys. Until next time. You take care.